0: Hello and welcome to the Pastcast. I'm Callum Henderson. Coming up on today's episode, what the latest research tells us about the Mary Rose, Henry VIII's doomed warship, and the real story behind her sinking. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by The Past, a brand new website that brings together the most exciting stories and the very best writing from the realms of archaeology, history, heritage and the ancient world. On our beautifully designed and easy to read website, you'll find an array of printed content from four top quality magazines. But we'll also bring you up to the minute news and the latest research, exclusive interviews, guest editorials, a weekly podcast and our Fiendish Friday Quiz and with no annoying ads or clickbait in You can subscribe to The Pass today for just 7 dollars 99 a month by visiting our website at the-pass.com forward slash subscribe. But until the end of April, listeners to this podcast can subscribe for a whole year for half price. That's just 39 99 a year. Just subscribe for the year and enter the voucher code PODAPRIL. That's PODAPRIL, one word, all in capital letters. Now, the Mary Rose is perhaps one of the most famous and tragic warships in history. Commissioned by Henry VIII shortly after he was crowned King of England in 1509, she would be the means by which this notoriously ruthless monarch would expand his empire overseas. But in 1545, while England was at war with France, the Mary Rose sank in the Solent. It was not until 1982 that her remains were recovered from the chilly waters around the Isle of Wight.
1: 20th-century technology went ponderously to work, then a crow's nest view of the cradle, but not yet its 16th-century burden. There was as much tension among the recovery team as on the long steel cables from which the cradle hung. Then, after 437 years, the skeletal ribs of Henry VIII's tragic warship emerged to a triumphant salute of sirens and gunfire. Emaciated as she is, the Mary Rose is still an awesome sight to behold. And for none more so than project director Margaret Rule, for whom this was an act of faith.
0: In the 40 years since her discovery, there's been a great deal of research into her appearance, her crew, and, crucially, what caused her sinking. To discuss these findings in more depth, I spoke to Peter Marsden, an archaeologist who has summarised the latest thinking for us at the past. Peter was the lead author commissioned by the Mary Rose Trust to publish interim descriptions and to reconstruction of the ship in 2003 and 2009, and to reconstruct our history. He has also authored a book, 1545, Who Sank the Mary Rose, published by Seaforth Publishing. In other words, he knows what he's talking about. Uh, Peter, hello, are are you well today?
1: Very well, thank you very much, yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. Thank,
0: yes, thank you for joining me. Um, I just wanted to begin by asking you that you said in your article that the Mary Rose represented quite a lot, uh, both the changing technology of the era and uh, Henry VIII's own ambitions. Uh, Could you tell me a bit more about what you meant by that?
1: Yes, Henry VIII uh, had this incredible idea that he wanted to seize parts of France. And this was before he had the um, change and we went uh, his breakup with the Catholic Church and became head of the Church of England. Um, so he built castles. Well, he first of all built the Navy. And this was started as soon as he became king. And in 1512, the first of these ships was launched and made ready and entered naval service. And this was the Mary Rose and uh, her sister ship, the Peter Pomegranate and um we don't know what the ship was like because in 1536 or thereabouts uh the mary rose was modernized and uh we all we know is from the records that she was converted from the early records say that in 1512 or there and soon after she was 500 to 600 tons that's her displacement and uh But in 1545, she was 700 to 800 tons. So she was made bigger. But having raised the Mary Rose, uh, the Mary Rose Trust has taken or had somebody to do tree ring samples of uh, many of the timbers in the ship. And we now know that the ship was lengthened, uh, the keel at the stern and the bow was extended, and other changes were made. So she was made much bigger. This uh, was at a time when he did break from Rome. And uh, he not only modernised his navy, but also built many castles on the south coast, particularly England especially. And uh, because it was thought that the, um, the French and the Spanish and the other Catholic countries were gang up against England.
0: It was a bit of Brexit. <laughs> uh, yes, you mentioned when the ship was recovered. It was first located in in 1971, and then removed about ten years later in 1982. Yeah. And that was after over 400 years, if I'm right in my maths. Underwater, yes, it was. yeah, yeah. Um, I was just asked, wanted to ask you what kind of condition it was in when it was raised, and about the process that was involved in the restoration. Because if I'm right in thinking, it's not as simple as just letting it dry out. No, um, you have to preserve it very carefully
1: that's right um about two-thirds of the ship is missing, but when she was on the seabed or in the seabed, uh she was over on her side, so a lot of her starboard side, a large part of it, had survived, which is great because it meant that um the uh one could then uh, do quite a reconstruction of the missing half but the um preservation all the timbers were waterlogged and they um, she was built of oak and oak is made of two things one is the cellulose which is the kind of packing material in the wood cells and lignin which is the kind of skeleton structure and part of the cellulose especially the outer part had uh, gone and so had to be Sprayed with a synthetic wax called polyethylene glycol, which uh, impregnated the wood cells and acted like cellulose and, uh, but, and then the ship could be dried out. So this took some years to do and, uh, even then the ship has been, sh- uh, as she's been drying out, has, um, uh, shrunk a little. So seams have now opened up very slightly. You don't notice them, but um, the Conservatives do and uh, they want to keep the ship as nearer as close as possible to how she was originally. Uh, so that has um, the polyethylene glycol has meant um, has had to be sprayed onto the timbers and gradually impregnated the timber. And she's now dry and um, it's uh, ready to uh, take a next stage fully which is the reconstruction and the putting back of all the things that were taken up, deck planks, cabins, stanchions and other things. So this will gradually um, over many years, be, uh, as the parts are concerned, will it should be restored. But we still only have the starboard side and some, a little of the port side. She's, look, when you go to the Mary Rose Museum, you're looking at the ship side on, rather like a, um, she's a children's a sort of playhouse. You, you sort of just see the decks and, and so on. And, but one side is just missing.
0: Yes. I mean, obviously, when she came out of the water, most of the, the ship was gone and, it was, in generally in quite bad shape. Um, you talked in your article about some of the new research that's come to light recently about the overall structure of the ship, uh, which was previously the subject of a bit of confusion. Do you think you could explain a bit more about that?
1: Yes. The, um, I, I was, oh, 10 years or more ago, um, I was employed by the Mary Rose Trust to publish with uh, other people the um, the ship and so describing the ship as she was found and then looking at this to to reconstruct her. This we, we published in 2009 and uh, with the Heritage Lottery Fund largely financing this and it was a mammoth effort to get this done, but it left lots of questions in my mind, one of which was we didn't have time to compare her structure and the information which we've got from her with other ships that have been found or have been recorded from that time. And one of the things that was missing, for example, was um, where the earth did one put all the crew of nearly 500 people on board? Where, yeah. did they, where were they accommodated? And the this, when we reconstructed her, uh, we used the information from the remains, which suggested that there were two decks in each castle. She was the type of ship called a carrack. And, uh, there uh-huh. were high castles, a, a high castle at the bow and a high castle at the stern. And these were like little fortresses and full of, um, men who, uh, soldiers who would fight the enemy. And the, um, we thought there were two, but the contemporary picture shows three. And uh-huh. three is what must be because there is no accommodation for those, uh, for the crew in what is found of the ship or in, in a kind of minimal reconstruction. And, uh, so the next step is to go and have a look at the stability of the ship as reconstructed. And this is something which is going to be done.
0: Yeah, I see. I mean, um, What I find quite remarkable, reading your article, obviously I I didn't know much about the Mary Rose uh, before I did, but there were actually still human remains on board the ship after 400 or so years uh, underwater. Um, Now, you also said that the location of these remains within the ship itself was actually quite instructive. It told you a lot about what was going on. I just wanted to ask if you could explain a bit more about that as well.
1: Yes, there were a lot of human bones. There were about 90... What we call fairly complete skeletons, but that, mm-hmm. is, um, from a, a whole skeleton right down to a few bones of a skeleton. So, but there's enough there to show that most of the crew that were found were in their, tw- men in their twenties. And the, um, and they were also in a pretty bad state. They've got, um, a, most of them seem to have big problems with their backs, um, uh, uh-huh. really stressed from being in the ship and working in the ship, heaving the heavy guns and so on. So um in looking at these men, and also the shoes that were found, they were kind of slip-on shoes, mostly. And these were not the shoes that were all the men who could easily be fighting in the upper parts of the ship, on yeah. the masts and so on. And this is a, a, a puzzle, but fortunately there is for another ship, which we don't know what it was, a a, um, a list of stations where the men in battle, where the men were normally placed, soldiers and sailors and so on, and officers. And uh, this, um, if applied to the Mary Rose, would put many of them into different places uh which one of which is, is under the stern castle, uh, a whole load of soldiers there are ready to to um and well, these were found ready to board an enemy ship. We know that she was sunk just after she had been fighting a, a French galley, so anyway, this was um the view of the remains seems to the remains of the people on board uh, seem mostly to be what. Well, are, were called um deck hands. These are uh-huh. people who were not really very uh, agile for climbing up and doing a lot of the fighting. And uh, so, because most of the skeletons were found in the hold on the all-up deck, which was the first the lowest deck just below the waterline, and then the main deck. And uh, the gunners were on the main deck, some of them were gunners and uh, otherwise the men were um deck men and uh, not the others so it looks like there's a kind of a distorted view of the human remains on the other types of men that were in the ship these were men that weren't in the front line of fighting apart from the soldiers who were um one of the other things i should say you asked about um what we learnt about the ship. One of the uh-huh. things is um, which I meant to say is that when she was originally built and entered naval service in 1512, she was designed to fight uh mm-hmm. and kill men. So she was designed to kill men, so there were bows, and arrows, and, and um, small guns in the ship. But when she was rebuilt, they put in lots of heavy uh, ship-smashing guns, and, uh, the, and reduced the amount of bows and arrows and small guns. So she was uh, in a much more modern type of, of uh, style, and able to sink enemy ships, whereas previously she was just a floating castle which would sail up against another floating castle of the enemy, another warship, and the soldiers would board and fight that's the type of, um, when she was built, that's the type of fighting that went on. But when she was rebuilt, they had these much heavier guns and could sink an enemy ship. So she was modernized. And it was great to be in Portsmouth Naval Dockyard next door to HMS Victory, which yeah. is, is, has these much heavier guns. And, of course, you can see the in the distance the new types of warships with their missiles on board. And they can can run for hundreds of miles and target a building. And so you've got the Mary Rose, the Victory, and the modern ships. You've got this development of of naval warfare, right from bows and arrows, right through to missiles. Absolutely fantastic to see.
0: Yeah, it is very interesting. I mean, I read another description of her as a bit of a – she was actually a bit of a monster of a ship because obviously she started there as a floating castle. And then she'd been very extensively upgraded, but perhaps the upgrade made her a bit bit unreliable as a ship. I'm thinking the events that led to her sinking. We know she was fighting in a battle, but it wasn't actually a direct uh, enemy operation that led to her sinking. Isn't that right?
1: That's right. See, um, when she was modernised, they still kept her as a Carrick. But mm-hmm. she, she was not designed to... Fight with these heavy guns or carry heavy guns. Really, they tried to. She was modified too far. There had to be a new design of ship, and which this was called the galleon, which came in about 1550 or so. And sorry, yes, yeah, about 1550. And the galleon was had low decks, sorry, low castles, and it was much closer to the waterline and uh was designed to carry these heavy heavy guns and the victory uh-huh. is a kind of galleon, so uh she she was really out of date even when she was being modernized they she was modernized too far when uh-huh. she and her sinking we at the account uh that she she a gust of wind came she heeled over and the water poured in through open gun ports now there is a contemporary account say that the water line was sixteen inches below the gun the lowest gun ports. Well the lowest gun ports were found. So we now know that she only needed to heel over seven degrees for the water to flood in and start to the process of, of sinking the ship. So um that's what what happened and uh so where she lay in the seabed was um, uh, really important because it shows that she was part of a squadron of ships, leading a squadron of ships to attack the French. I should say that Henry VIII, when he wanted uh, to acquire parts of France for England, yeah. he had previously, in the previous year, 1544, he had seized Boulogne. And the French king, Francis I, was absolutely out of his mind about all this. So he Mm -hmm. sent a fleet over of over 300 ships to seize the Isle of Wight as a balcony encounter. It was as simple as that. And the battle between the English and the French in the Solent was between the mainland and the Isle of Wight. And after a week, the French got nowhere and had to sail back home. And uh, Lord Lyle, who is the great hero of the battle, he went then and um, murdered people and attacked uh, the town of Triport in in northern France. And uh, the poor people there had to suffer the the, the result of of this battle. And it's Mm -hmm. said that the battle was inconclusive, but actually it was very, very much uh, an English success. Um, yes. So, uh, yeah. Um, but Henry, of all the people in history, as an archaeologist, you, you come across a lot of people in in history. And the one person I would least like to meet is Henry, <laughs> Drake, particularly in 1545 when he was in very bad health yes. and uh, was a kind of megalomaniac. He was a horrible man. And having delved into letters of the time, um, other records of the time, he's just people were in f- awful fear of him. They um, even on his deathbed, people wouldn't dare tell him he was dying, for fear of yeah. being sent to the tower and being executed. It was he was an awful man. man.
0: <laughs> not even out of just historical interest, go back in time, just check him out, see what he looks no, like. Horror! I would keep definitely not
1: f- far. I would keep very clear and <laughs> francis the, the french king was himself um uh, not he was not blameless he did some terrible things too but in over this business my sympathies are very much with the french king because he just wanted the line back and yes he, and they the french eventually got the line because we at this time we still owned calais and that was a bit of england that was left over in france Yeah. but um they, they did get, but they had to pay an awful lot of money in due course to uh, get them um, line back. It was it was a nasty, nasty thing, and and the Mary Rose is a ship which really you have to think of in, in terms of uh, she was just part of his power hungriness and uh, it was a, it was really really not a good. Um, piece of, of English history
0: you have written more extensively about this in in your book. is that right as well?
1: well, there were these questions that were left over niggling me niggling me from um, publication of two thousand and nine so i um uh, after ten years I, I i have written a an update on the ship and it's um was published in Two thousand nineteen fifteen forty five who sent the mary rose that's the title, and in this i've really looked at this whole business of the Mary Rose in her context because when we did the original publication, it was looking at the Mary Rose and not in her historical context but mm-hmm. that that is not really the right way she needs to be seen as part of this whole uh, As an example of of a ship uh, in in the events of 1545 when the french came and by the way the french armada which arrived off the isle of wight was much much bigger twice the size of the famous spanish armada 1588 absolutely huge and anyway the um uh, though the book sort of goes into this i've also tried very Hard not to, um, use too many technical terms for yeah. building, because I think this is, it's really important for other people who are not ship people to understand, and it's possible to do, do this, and um, to, um, understand what the ship was like, how we reconstruct her, how she fits in with the story so that we, um, know of what was going on and uh look at who sank the mary rose and the uh, there's a whole chapter dealing with that and to be honest um the the answer is um henry VIII himself he had to finance the rebuilding of the ship he also made the country um more or less bankrupt through not just the mary rose but all the other building works he did not a very good piece of english history but um there it is i think mary rose is one of the amazing archaeological achievements of our time to recover the ship and my um thoughts go out to Mar- margaret rule who excavated the ship led the excavation and alexander mckee who found the ship what they did was absolutely a- in achieving this Recovery, excavation, recovery, and building a museum, and everybody else. Absolutely amazing. If you want to go and see a modern museum, which is unlike any museum that any listeners will have seen, it's worth going to see the Mary Rose Museum at uh, Portsmouth. It's stunning, absolutely stunning.
0: Yeah, um, we should, of course, mention them as well, the central figures in the restoration process. Um, Peter, I think that's a good place to end it on. Thank you very much for joining me today. Pleasure. Thanks again, Peter. And remember, you can read his article in full at the-pass.com now. And don't forget to take advantage of the exclusive discount code only available to listeners such as yourself. The code is PODAPRIL. That's one word, all in capital letters. That's all for this week. Thank you to my guest, Peter Marsden, and to you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, and we hope that you did, please consider subscribing to us and sharing it around. The Pastcast is available every Wednesday morning on Spotify, Apple Music, Acast, and from wherever else that you get your podcasts. We'll hope you join us again soon.